Hey, ebook readers, right now, the Flight Attendant Joe series ebooks are only $2.99. That's Fasten Your Seatbelts and Eat Your Fucking Nuts, Flight Attendant Joe, and I'm Just Here for the Layovers on Amazon, iTunes, Nook, and Kobo, $2.99 each. Hey, everybody, if you enjoy listening to Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe, now is your chance to become a patron of the podcast. Go check out www.patreon.com slash grounded with flight attendant Joe. There's different tiered levels and each of one of them comes with something special and unique, including the Friday debrief, which is a short podcast episode that I record on Friday mornings, just me and my coffee. And it's only available on the Patreon page for patrons. So again, check that out. www.patreon.com slash grounded with flight attendant Joe. Hey everybody, welcome to episode number 35 of the Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe podcast. Before I get started with my guest today, I want to talk about something very serious. During this conversation, my guest and I talked about mental health issues. Specifically, we brought up the ideology of suicide. If you or someone you love or know is considering suicide and you need to talk to someone, please call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. It's 1-800-273-8255. Again, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. This one is good, ladies and gentlemen. I want you to put your hands together for Deborah Lee Smith. She is an actor, producer, writer. She's the founder of More Than You See, which is a mental health nonprofit organization. And we talked about her new movie that just came out here a while. She's the producer and she acts in it. And it's about a young woman who is diagnosed with terminal cancer and she moves to Oregon to be with her brother and to utilize the Death with Dignity Act so she can end her life on her own terms. No matter what your thought process is on that, this is such a great conversation that people should hear. We also talked about mental health. Deborah shared a lot of the struggles that she's gone through and how she gets through moments when life is rough. I shared a lot of personal stuff. This was an incredible conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Deborah to the show. It was 2 a.m. maybe. Got off late again because the cops got called on the band. I told him that I had to go, but he wouldn't listen. When I finally got home, JJ was sitting there waiting for me, sure as shit. I told him where I was. I told him to call Bobby, but he wouldn't listen to me. And he called me a cheating whore. And, and then he started hitting me. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome the incredible Deborah Lee Smith to my podcast. I am, I am shaking in my seat. My, like I have like, goosebumps because... I was stalking you like I do everyone and I found I found <laughs> your yeah I found your highlight reel and I saw this clip and I was like oh my god what movie is this from and it's not from a movie it's just you doing what you do best which is perform how does this happen what what was this about I mean that one was just uh I mean as actors, you know, you go through stages where you, like, change your hair or want to try out something new. And um, a couple years ago, I, like, 
chopped off all like most of my hair. I used to have like very long, luscious locks, and I chopped it all off and have this little short cut right now. And um, I was like, I guess I need to get some footage, and I'm a producer as well. So I just went out and shot that with some friends. And I mean, I used to love doing accents as a kid. I, I used to travel a lot. I mean, I still travel a lot, but I used to travel a lot as a kid and I would sit in the airport and imitate people who I was like hearing. Because oh. um, obviously an airport is a wonderful place to, you know, listen to people. Mm-hmm. And I haven't, I haven't actually done accents since high school theater. Um, and so I was just like, the, when I started doing that character, she just became Southern. <laughs> so I don't, you know, I don't know. Sometimes the, the character speaks through you. Not even a plan. No. Well, does she have a name? Do you know? Do you remember? Uh, um, I don't, but Eve popped into my mind for some Eve, reason. Okay. Cause you know, JJ, mm-hmm. because listen, I think it's what, a 30 second clip. And now I am so invested in this girl and in JJ and in Bobby mm-hmm. and what is happening. And I, I, I went to high school with this girl. I think. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> because when you were talking, yeah. I was like, oh, I know her. No, I think maybe she's mm-hmm. my cousin, but it was great. But oh. welcome to the show. Um, Thank you so much. And uh, <laughs> I just jumped right into that, but I want to let everyone, can you please let everyone know who you are and what you do? <laughs> I just, I just yeah, jumped right in. Let's start at the beginning, shall we? Um, yeah, my name is Beverly Smith. I'm an actor and a producer and a mental health advocate. Those are my, those are my three focuses in life and a, and a dog mom. Number four. Well, that's very important. You're also a writer. I am. I, I'm, I, you know, it's hard for me to say that I'm a writer because I'm not, um, I haven't, uh, excelled at that or like haven't had the external validation that we need so much in this career at times. Um, like I've never necessarily sold anything that I've written, but I'm actually working on a script right now that I'm really excited about with a friend. Um, it's actually my, my, uh, it's about my grandma. It's a family story. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, um, about world war two. Oh, wow. Or it's set in world war two. Yeah. It's, um, it's pretty crazy. You, if you actually look at this up, on the interwebs, you can find it. But my grandma, um, on my mother's side, her brother was shot down. He was uh, in the airport. He was shot down um, over Italy in World War II and declared missing in action. They never found his body. And then um, about 10 years ago, so, you know, 60 years after he had been shot down, this Italian gentleman contacted my grandma and said, um, I think I know where your brother's body is buried. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. I know. Isn't that crazy? And we, he was, he was exhumed. I mean, it took forever with, you know, going through the proper channels in order to make sure the DNA was a match and all of this stuff. And so he was exhumed and brought over and buried at the Jewish cemetery next to my grandpa a couple of years ago. But, um, a friend and I are writing the script from the perspective, of my grandma when she was like 14 losing her losing her brother um and so it's in world war ii um one of the characters like she has an older sister who's 10 years older than her who's 24 and i'm attached to play her that character and i'm just really excited my my family is very fascinating and really um 
this is located in Pittsburgh, and they really did a lot for the Jewish community during World War II to try and help as much as they could, even from from the U.S. And so, um, yeah, I'm really I'm really excited. And World War II movies are they're always a thing. Everyone loves World War II movies, so. Yeah, people are um, fascinated. Share that. Fascinated with yeah. World War II. Now, would this is this script going to span like? And I don't want you to give away too much, of course. But do you think no, it's no, no. you know it's going to start when she, your grandma's fourteen? But does it kind of cover where she gets the call from somebody in Italy? Yeah, so okay. it's it's sort of a um, like Saving Private Ryan framework, mm-hmm. where or like Titanic, where we've got my grandma like in her eighties getting this letter. Um, from this Italian gentleman, and then and then it flashes back. Oh, to, that's um, awesome! To World War Two, yeah, and um, yeah, there's a lot of it's really fascinating, and I found this with so many different projects where I've worked on, where you just start uncovering things, and then everything just falls into place. Like the more that my friend um, and I were talking to my grandma about this, like her story, there were just things that she said that completely paralleled her life in Pittsburgh to her brother's life in training as an Air Force pilot and how even when they were separated, they were still had very similar parallel lives. They were very, very close. And so it's just stuff like that. I just love that in filmmaking because you can't make that shit up. (laughs) You know, it's it's truthful. And it's, yeah, oftentimes the truth, I think, is so much more fascinating than, than what we can invent. Well, yeah, oh. and, you know, cause you, 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 you live through things where you're like, this is that you can't write this. This is so right. authentic and real. And what I'm, what I would be interested in, and I'm not trying to tell you how to write your movie, but I want to know, I want to know. So imagine it's world war two, the Holocaust is going on in Europe. You're a mm-hmm. Jewish American living in the States. What are you thinking? What are you do? Like, what is going through your mind? You're hearing from your family. And then the United right. States is kind of at first saying, we're not getting involved. And you're like, are you, are you right. kidding me? You're not getting, this is the right. time. This is when you get involved. Right. <laughs> so I would be so yeah. interested in, in, in the, in that aspect too. But that's just. Yeah. Me. I mean that, well, that is a very big part of it. I mean, cause of course, you know, my family's Jewish, I'm Jewish. And so that's definitely a big part of it. And, and the, you know, because of course we're going to go into a history lesson here. I love it. Um, I mean, of course, you know, yeah, we didn't have the media that we have today. So people are only getting digestible information from the U S government, which I mean, I guess is also happening today, but at least now we know where we can get alternative news. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, I mean, in, in those times, that wasn't necessarily the case. And so oftentimes rabbis of the synagogues were the ones that had more information than anyone else because they were getting letters or they would collect letters from other members of the community and then they would read them aloud in, in temple in order to, you know, keep people up to date about what was going on and how everything was progressing from, you know, the pogroms to the Jews being forced into the ghettos to the gas chambers and, you know, all of that sort of stuff was, um, you know, slowly being leaked to U.S. Jewish communities. And so that's definitely something that we explore as well. Um, and so, and, and there's, there's some other little like secret tidbits in there that again, were just like completely true. And I'm just like, how, how is this not, you know, this sort of story not been told before? So I'm, I'm really quite excited about that. 
Oh, I'm excited too. Because when you were talking about the rabbis reading these letters in the synagogue, it, it, I thought yeah. of like, that's, you know, th that's kind of like the Facebook of today. You're reading information yeah. from other people. And I can just, I can't even imagine what it would be like to be sitting there listening to this and almost having this feeling of this can't be real because this sounds so insane that oh my god like why isn't someone doing something about this so i can just imagine right. the turmoil within the jewish community in the united states during world war ii right well and just the conflict because of course you know and this is this doesn't really give anything away but the primary conflict of the story is the fact that my grandma really i mean her she was the young she was the youngest of the three um and she was, you know, like a little spitfire kid. And at 14, she was like, yeah, I want to go out and kill those Nazis. Like, put me on the front line. And obviously that's not <laughs> the case. But she really wanted her, the rest of her family to, like, step up. She was like, you know, why aren't you doing, you know, your part? And they, their um, response, like, we, we are doing our part. You're just too young to understand. And oh, you don't understand yeah. what we're doing, you know? Right. And so there's there's some tension there just between the family and between him deciding whether or not he's going to sign up and, and all that sort of stuff. Because, I mean, of course, the draft was, was happening, so he could have been drafted, but he did actually sign up um, under, his own, under his own decision. But it definitely was something that took quite a while because, um, I mean, he, my, 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 uh, my grandma grew up without a father, so it was like, he was the only father figure in the house, the only male figure. So, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot at stake in there. And I think that it's, I mean, with any sort of like big war film, there's always just the underlying truth that we can, you know, build into our own lives. And I think that there's so many, um, you know, internal struggles about what we're doing and whether or not it's right versus right for others or, you know, right for your family. And, you know, there's a lot of conflict there. So. Yeah. And I, I love the idea <laughs> that, that, um, your uncle, yeah, your grandmother's brother. So it would be your uncle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Your uncle. Yeah. My would, great uncle. Mm -hmm. He would sign up and say, I'm going to go over there and I'm going to bomb some Nazis. I love it. I love mm -hmm. like what a great yeah. what a great thing to be a Jewish American and say, sign me up. I'm going to go there and I'm going to do what I can to make this right. Right. I think exactly. this story is going to be fascinating. You know, thank I'm, you. I, I'm a very big fan of you, and oh, thank you so much. Ditto. Yeah. Well, I've done nothing compared to you, but <laughs> I just want to tell you. There's so much I want to talk about, but I want to talk about your newest movie here a while mm -hmm. that you acted in, and you were also a producer. Yeah. I watched it this morning to be prepared yeah, for this conversation. Uh -huh. Well, let me tell you. Um. It still makes me cry. Like I was crying. Yeah. I, I went downstairs. I gave my husband a hug. I told him that if anything ever happened to him, I would be with him until the end. It was, um, yeah, it was, um, it was rough at nine o'clock in the morning, Deborah. Yeah. <laughs> we should have a disclaimer. <laughs> you should be like, you should watch this movie with a, well, I don't know if a, a couple of glasses of wine, I might not have been able to even record. <laughs> with right. you today because it was so emotional, but it was such an important movie. How did you, Thank well, first you. of all, can you let everyone know what the movie is about? Oh, Sorry, hello. What's, your, what's, your my dog? Dog. what's your dog's that's, name? My dog's name is Phineas. 
after the Harry Potter character. Oh, I'm okay. a big I'm a big Harry Potter fan, and um, he likes to uh, enter himself into conversations at times. Well, so I apologize no, in no. advance. <laughs> we are definitely dog friendly, so don't you worry about that. Oh, good, but um, wonderful. Yeah, please yeah, let everyone so, know here um, a while. Yeah, absolutely. So Here a While is um, a story about a woman with terminal cancer um, who's played by Anna Camp from the Pitch Perfect franchise and a bunch of other stuff. True Blood, Mad Men, etc. The Help. The and Help. Yeah. The Help. Yes, The Help. Perfect Harmony was her latest. Um, and so it's about, yeah, she comes back home to Oregon to reconnect with her brother um, and to make the decision that she wants to use the Death with Dignity Act, which is a law in Oregon that allows people with certain terminal conditions to use a doctor in order to end their life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, it is it is quite a sad movie, um, although we really tried to balance it with a lot of levity. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot, the, the movie is really about, you know, enjoying your life and um, doing what you can to um, bring peace and, you know, collectedness with your family before, um, before she dies. And, uh, you know, we've got an incredible supporting cast, Stephen Strait, who plays her brother, who's from The Expanse, and um, Joe Latrulio from Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Wet Hot American Summer. Um, he is just absolutely incredible as Gary, which is the next door neighbor character. So um, incredible. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, isn't he? He oh, just, very oh good. my God. Yeah. And I mean, talk about watching that film, filming that movie. I was just a wreck. <laughs> like, as far as emotional. <laughs> I, I actually, I actually oh have a question. God. I have a question on yeah. my list of questions and it says, um, where did it say? Um, where did you cry through the entire making of this movie? <laughs> I mean, you know, as a producer, also you sometimes are just crying. But <laughs> no, I mean, it was really difficult. I I have to say, I mean, the, the, the actors were just incredible. I mean, Anna and Steven and Joe and the rest of the cast just completely blew me out of the water and were so, you know, honest and present at all times that, like, I felt like I was watching a play. Um, and they would do it over and over and over again and still nail it every single time. Like I, you know, that was my fourth feature that I've produced. Um, and this is the first time that I've worked with, um, actors of their, uh, caliber, at least for such an extended period of time. And they just completely, um, I mean, what they say about, you know, actors and celebrities and, and how they have honed their craft is 100% true. And I, um, you know, I just, I'm really looking forward to continuing to work with incredible actors like that in my future, because it it really was, I mean, watching the end scene, I, I would lose it every time. Like I would have to like have my hand over my mouth so that I wasn't sobbing and I'd have to leave the room (laughs) because you know, I was going to ruin the shop. <laughs> oh, well, I'm right there with you. Here's the thing. Yeah. When, when you watch this movie, you feel, and I know people are like, oh yeah, that's what they're supposed to do. But I felt like I was with them in that house in mm-hmm. Portland. I felt mm-hmm. like 
I was sitting at the table, opening up the capsules and putting them into the glass for her with them. It yeah. was, yeah. It was it was quite a roller coaster ride, but the well, but you're right. The you. actors were fantastic. Um, Joe's character yeah. Gary, wow! Like the first time yeah. I cried was, and I, we're not going to give too too much away of the movie. But right. the first time I cried is there's a scene where Anna's sitting at the table. She's I get, what I um, interpret is she's journaling, and um, yeah. she's writing mm -hmm. in her journal, and he's talking to her, and he had that facial recognition app, and yeah. they have this conversation about her terminal cancer, and just the way he the, the delivery of both of them was fantastic, and yeah, with Stephen Strait, I was like, where do I know him from? And this is how uh -huh. obscure it is. So I go yeah. on IMDb. He was in the movie Sky High, which I loved that movie. Oh, oh yeah, with of course. Kurt Doug was it Kurt Douglas? Um, yes. Yeah, Kurt Douglas. And I was so I was like, that's where I know him from. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, the movie was fantastic. How how did you how did this movie fall in your lap? So um, that was it was it was completely random. I uh, had filmed another feature up in Portland um, a few years before that, and then and then a couple shorts as well. And um, I just it's I still remember where I was. I was walking my dog around the block, and I got a call from the director, and he said, "Hi, my name is Tim True. I was um, referred to you. I'm looking for an LA-based producer who has experience shooting in Portland." And I was like, hi, nice to meet you. Yep, that's me. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. And so he, yeah, so he sent me the script. Um, and I just, I mean, it, it like from the first reading, it was, you know, incredible. And um, so I hopped on board right away. And I mean, you know, that movie was just so uh, special from beginning to end. Like we, it really came together in such an amazing way. I mean, they contacted us at the end of April and we were shooting by July and that was with getting the cast that we had that was with you know all fundraising done like it just everything came together in such a beautiful way and the Portland community came really supported the film and um it just was really a communal film which was really quite special it, yeah it it definitely it definitely had that feeling of community and you're just there. I felt like I lived there with these people. I felt like I knew these yeah. people. And when the layers, uh -huh. when the layers start getting peeled back and you start finding out all the dysfunction, the father, their dad, you know, obviously the mom passed away yeah. earlier on. It's there's so much that they didn't, the brother and sister who were um, Michael and Anna, they didn't really yeah. talk for a long time. So, you know, you're dealing with this idea that this young woman has terminal cancer that's throughout her entire body and she's making the de decision to end her life. But you're also finding out all these other layers of what has gotten them all to this point in life. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm, I yeah, mean, you know, really the, the character is, thank you. The character is actually based on a true person. Um, I mean, loosely based and, and on more of a composite of several people, but there is a character or there is a woman who the writer, um, met cause he, he was a pediatric oncologist. And so he, he met this woman who was dying of colon cancer and who was an artist. 
And, um, and so that's, that's sort of what sparked this. Um, but, you know, it was really important for us in this film to stay truthful to the realism of the situation. Um, you know, some, some criticism has, you know, of course, everyone, everyone has an opinion and I accept all opinions and reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, you know, something that has been echoed several times is the fact that everyone's like, Oh, like you feel like Anna looks too good at that, you know, to be dying. And that's something that I, um, you know, really want to combat because the, I mean, we have not only the writer is an oncologist. We also had several, you know, people from the Death with Dignity organization who consulted on this film. And, you know, if you can make the decision to use the Death with Dignity Act, as long as you have um, six months or less to live. So there's a lot that can happen in six months as far as your body deteriorating. And, you know, and that's something that people, I think, um, don't, you know, some people have some issues with or, or don't completely understand. And, you know, the thing that we've always said with this film is we just hope that we are sharing one character story, one person's story. And you can, you know, take whatever opinion you want from it. You can, you know, take what you what you want from the film, but please just watch it with an open heart and an open mind and understand that some people do make this decision. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, because I think that, you know, sure, it, you know, who knows if it's something that you yourself would do, but this is something that this character felt that it was important for her, that she, she, was, she was happy with her life and she was, she was done. Um, and she didn't want to deteriorate, you know, and it's, mm-hmm. it's interesting because as we, you know, travel with this film to film festivals and stuff, every single screening that we had, we had someone come up to us and talk about how they had a family member, um, who wishes that they would have been able to use something like this. Um, you know, so I think according to the like the last Gallup poll 72% of Americans think that something like this is is a good idea to have um oh, and I, there's I only yeah. yeah and there's only 12 states in the US where it's currently legal um and so there's a lot of organizations that are you know working to try and change that and and of course you know this is an american thing like in most in most european countries it's very widely accepted in, in a lot of countries around the world, it's very widely accepted. It's just a, you know, U.S. I mean, yeah, I have opinions about well, it, but no. I think like there's a, yeah. Right. No, no, <laughs> yeah. I get it. I think, so I watched the movie and it's really fresh in my mind because I just watched it like an hour and a half ago. And when I'm watching Anna, I don't know if it's psychologically, but I think that she does start looking from the beginning when you first see her, and which I want to talk about also, um, all the way to the end, I, I see a progression of getting sickly looking, but I think a lot, and it could be in my mind watching the movie cause I know what's happening. So maybe my mind's telling me, oh yeah, she's looking sick. But I think people have a problem with the idea of it's a healthy looking person who is choosing yeah. to end their life. And I can't handle that. Agreed. Like if it's grandma right. and she's 97, well, that makes right. sense. But oh my God, somebody who's 30. But like you said, mm-hmm. 
there's a long period of time where you can make the decision. And if somebody says to you, you have terminal brain cancer or whatnot, and you have three months to right. live, those three months are probably, you're going to go downhill very quickly. So, but at right. the beginning, you probably look fine. Right. Um, yeah, exactly. And I, there's just this thing about control. You know, we don't have, as humans, we really don't have control mm -hmm. over when we die. Yep. So the idea of me going to the doctor and them saying, Joe, you have terminal whatever, and you're going to die in six months. I'm going to, and thankfully I live in a state that allows this, that if I'm terminally ill and I follow all the guidelines and I get all the witnesses and the doctors and this and that, I can actually have the power. And that's what it's all about, right? The power to say, right. I'm going to take control of this. This cancer's inside me. It's killing my cells. It's killing me, but I'm going to have the last laugh because I'm going to decide when to end all this nonsense. Right. Right. Um, you're going to make, I'm just talking about this is going to make me cry, but whew, you know, this is like, my heart is racing because it was, yeah. I should have watched it two days ago. <laughs> I, would have, I would have been able to process more. But when I was talking about pulling back the, you know, the, what was it, the layers of this movie, there's a scene where they're driving in the car and mm -hmm. they're going to do something that's going to kind of like resolve an issue within their immediate family. And right. Anna's character says something very profound. And mm -hmm. her brother, Michael says, oh, I don't know why we're doing this. And she goes, do you, do you want to say it? And he's like, don't force me to say it. And she's like, yeah. resolution and forgiveness. And, uh -huh. you know, yes, this movie is about somebody making the decision to end their life because they have terminal cancer. But when I saw that, I was like, oh, I know this movie, there's a lot of different things going on. And one of the main things yeah. is this forgiveness. Cause you know, they had they right. spoken a long time. So it's the idea of I'm coming home, I'm dying. I'm making the decision when to do it. And we need to learn forgiveness. Yeah. Definitely. So, so much to process. And you know, it was father's day this week and I had a really bad relationship yeah. with my father and they, you know, the, the dad did not appreciate certain lifestyles of the main character, how she lived her life. Right. And so there was right. so much from it. I just sat on the sofa at nine o'clock in the morning and I was sobbing. So thank you. So yeah. you did, you did, yeah. it was great. No, <laughs> it was great. You're welcome. Now, yeah. I, you know, as much as I've been involved in Hollywood and I've actually had meetings with producers, <laughs> I still, you're going to laugh at me. I still don't know. And LJ will slap me when I ask this question. I still don't even understand what the producer does. You know, I see director, I see producer, I see executive producer. I know what the mm -hmm. actor does. Please educate my ignorance and let what 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 are you doing when you're the producer? I mean, that it's honestly not a stupid question because it really depends um, on so many different things. You know, a a television producer is vastly different than a film producer, and a studio film producer is very different from an indie film producer. Um, you know, it. In, in the television world, even writers at a certain level become producers just by name because um, it's just like a title bump, basically. So that's, that's that. I mean, as an indie producer, I 
basically do everything. Everything from, you know, hiring everyone from the casting director to, um, I mean, sometimes the director with this film, there was already a director attached, but I, you know, I've hired directors before. Um, obviously the cinematographer and like the entire crew. So really just outfitting the crew. Um, and then making sure that everything runs smoothly, obviously making sure everyone is housed and have meals and, you know, the creative is, is correct. I mean, I really do all of the jobs. <laughs> um, it's sort like, of just like, like the, the boss. Yeah. It sounds like, yeah. like the program manager of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, some people really, um, you know, love doing paperwork. So that's, that's usually like the line producers, the person who handles like the paperwork and the budgeting, um, and the scheduling. And then like the creative producer is the one who, you know, really makes sure that the, the director's vision is being carried out and understood by all of the other department heads. And, you know, there's a re- like cohesion in the, in the vision on set. Um, with Here a While, I mean, and in all of the indie films I do, I do it all. So um, I, I look forward to the, to the point when I can actually only, you know, pick and choose the, the select tasks that I want to do. But, um, I mean, indie film is just, it's a different beast. But I have to say it's interesting because right now with COVID and with this changing the you know, landscape of, of the entertainment industry completely. I was reading an article this past week where they were saying how they're going to start looking at indie producers and directors um, in order to hire them for their studio films because studio directors and studio producers don't know how to shoot. I mean, we shot here a while in 16 days um, in one location or I mean more than one, but, but for the most part, just one location, um, with a crew of, you know, more, no more than 15 to 25 Sundays. Um, I mean, that's a pretty small crew and that's not something that most studio producers and directors are, you know, have the memory of or, or know how to, you know, handle a set that small. Um, Oh, that makes so sense because yeah, if, so you, it's if, interesting. You're, if you're like an indie producer, you probably work with like really tight budgets, small crews, and then you have these producers and like for the big budget films who are like, we have a $170 million budget. Oh, who cares if we lose right. six days? And you guys are more right. like, yeah, no, we can get this film done in 16. That's for sure. I mean, there's certainly some, some like, you know, legality issues in there and the fact that, um, you know, obviously on, on my set so far, I've really only had to deal with SAG as the union. Um, on bigger, bigger budgets, you have to deal with all of the other unions and all of those other unions have very strict rules as far as like, you know, if you're not a, if you're not a lighting tech, you can't pick up a light because then you are doing, you're taking someone else's job who could be a lighting guy, you know? Oh, you know, but in, 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 on my thoughts, it's like, if a light needs to be moved and there's no one else there, I'm just going to pick up that light and move it, you know, obviously with my DP's permission, but you know, I'm there to help and, and do whatever I can in order to make the film succeed. Um, so I mean, with anything, you know, bureaucratic, there's always a lot more red tape. 
Um, but I do think that, that this upset is going to change, you know, our whole industry, you know, quite a bit because people are going to, I mean, with, with, I mean, it's changing the entire world. I think people are starting to really see where they can, you know, cut some excess out of their life and just Mm -hmm. focus on what's important. Um, in, you know, not that, that's a whole other thing (laughs) in every aspect of their life. (laughs) But so, so who, so it sounds like a lot of when you're the producer, you've got the director, you've got all these people. It sounds like you spend a lot of time not trying to step on everyone's toes. Is that true? Um, I mean, I think everyone, I mean, the producer is definitely the number one, I would say. Um, I mean, I would say the director and the producer are, are pretty, you know, hand in hand. Um, but I mean, if you look at, for example, if you look at the Oscars, you know, yes, the director can win by himself for best, best director, but best picture, um, wins go to the producers. Oh, so, okay. you know, th- that's, that's who, that's who wins for best picture. Um, so they really are the captain of the ship Okay, as far as making sure everything runs correctly. See, you explained it to me, and now I will never need the explanation before again because I always was like, all right, I know what the director's doing. I know what the actors are doing. Right. I know what the person who sits there and yells out, this is your line, and I know all mm-hmm. those roles, um, but mm-hmm. I, I never knew how the producer fell into it regarding, like, the director. and but So normally right. the producer hires everyone also. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but this movie had the director already. The director contacted you. So is it because the director was also the writer? And so that is, is that yeah, something so, normal or is that out of the ordinary? Uh, I, mean, it's, I mean, I think in, in the entertainment industry, nothing is, is normal. Um, but, <laughs> I just uh, choked on my water when you said that. <laughs> uh, you're welcome. Uh, I mean, I would, <laughs> I would say, I mean, with this film in particular, the the production company, um, you know, who was the main production company behind this is is this director and writer team. And the director is an actor. Um, he's been a theater director for a long time. So, like, he really has a handle on dialogue. And so often Chuba, the, the writer, will, you know, come up with this the first draft of the script and then Tim will come in and do punch ups and, you know, correct dialogue and, you know, that sort of stuff. So they really are co-writers. Okay. Um, and so Chuba is, yeah, the writer and executive producer. And then Tim was the director and writer. There were two scenes. There were two scenes in the movie that I thought were very powerful. It was the first one. And then it was the one when they're in the car and they're driving. Um, in the first scene, you just see Anna's character and what I assume is she's getting the results of what's happening, but there's mm-hmm. no dialogue. There's no sound. And then yeah. there's the scene later on where Gary jumps out of the car and there's no sound, but they're actually yeah. him and Michael are talking. I thought that was incredible directing. Thank you. Yeah. Because yeah. It was so powerful because I'm sitting there, I'm all emotional already. And and then you're actually creating, you're in your brain, you're imagining the story. They're not telling you the story. Right. You've already learned 
Well, in the second part, not in the first one. In the first one, you're like, what's happening? And you're like, oh, shit. Yeah, I know what this movie's about. I know what's going on. Mm -hmm. But later on, you know these characters so much at that point that you know what's happening. You know why Gary jumps out of the car. And you know why Michael comes. Michael's like his little savior that checks on him daily. Um, I just thought that was so smart. Was that in the script? Or was that, is that, are those things that just happen on the fly where the director's like, you know what? This looks great. Let's do this. Yeah, you know, so it's interesting that you picked those two scenes. Um, so though, both of those scenes, um, and this, I mean, this film we shot almost, we shot two years ago, and it has been quite a journey. It's gone through many iterations. Um, I'm very proud of, of how the film ended up. Um, but that first scene was actually, you know, in the middle of the movie at some point, and we, we ended up working with two different post teams, two different post-production teams. And our second post team was some LA-based people who I had worked with before. And they, I mean, they were just, I mean, talk about having the indie film mentality versus the studio mentality. Our composer and editor were so incredible about thinking outside of the box and really, um, you know, taking what Tim wanted and elevating it to an entirely new level. Um, and that's what those two scenes very clearly reflect because yes, those scenes were written in the script, you know, as the, the, the first one, there was dialogue in it. There was a doctor oh, speaking yeah. to her. Um, and in the, you know, the one where Gary's having a panic attack, that, that one as well, um, there was a little bit of dialogue, not really, but the, the music of that scene and the editing of that scene, like both scenes are what made those scenes so powerful. And that's where um, Sean Barrett, who is our composer, I mean, he's someone who actually the film that I shot in Portland before, um, which is called The Shasta Triangle, it's a horror film. Um, and he composed that one as well. And that film, you know, needed a lot of like eerie, you know, un- otherworldliness to it. And so with, with Sean, we sort of went to him and we're like, look, you know, th- there's a very um, common like guitar playing tone to a lot of indie films. Um, and we're like, we, we want that at, at, you know, some, but we also want, it just to be different. Like we want a different sound to really sort of jar people out of their normal sensibilities around, you know, you know, the subject matter and around any film. And, um, and that's, and that's what he created for us was, was those two pieces. And so I, I'm just in, I cannot wait to work with him again. I'm, you know, so um, indebted to our entire post, team and and you know they say that there's you know three iterations of a script the one that's written the one that's acted and then the one that's edited and I think that that's completely true because you never you know whatever's on the page what the actors bring to life is completely different and then what you know the editor can bring in is is completely different again so it's I mean it's such a collaboration that's why I love it so much is just how much a film can change through all that collaboration. Uh, you know, it was, 
I, I, I keep going back to, it was good. It was great. It was, <laughs> it was so wonderful how I'm thinking about, I can't stop. Here's the thing. I can't stop thinking about it. So that's why, you know, it's great. Yeah, and it's not you. just because I have you on the show. And I'm thinking now. I'm thinking of Louisa, who plays. I don't want to give too much. She plays somebody who's very close to Anna, and um, uh-huh. I didn't like her. There's a scene where she's sitting at the table with Michael and Anna, and I'm like, why uh-huh. is she being such an asshole? Right. Right. <laughs> and then I have to realize, oh wait a minute, Anna's dying, and mm-hmm. you know. Michael's really not on board with it. Like just, just there's just so much. And so then after and the end scene, you know, you're like, Oh, this, this poor woman, like imagine Mm -hmm. I want people who's listening. Oh, all right. I'm jumping ahead. See, I'm so scatterbrained because of this movie. I have to learn to watch, watch the movie two days before it, you interview the producer. (laughs) But I'm thinking about, the idea of so many layers, and I keep saying that, but I really connected with when he, Anna's talk. Okay, can I say Anna's a lesbian? I just said it. Anna's a lesbian. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she comes to her brother's house and she's talking about the dad, and she's like, you know, dad kicked me out, and whenever I would call, he would hang up, and it really resonated with me because I just wrote a, a Facebook post about my relationship with not only my biological dad who didn't want me, but also my adopted dad who was a pedophile. So, you know, yeah, this, I saw that yeah, so, my heart went out to you, Joe. Oh, well, thank you. Um, you know what? Like Kelly Clarkson says, what doesn't kill you makes you That's stronger. Right. So there you 100%. go. hundred percent. Um, but and you're you actually have a cameo in this movie, and I wrote down this I wrote down this question, Mrs. I think it's Mrs. Robinson, right? <laughs> no, oh, Mrs. Johnson, uh, Mrs. Johnson, Mrs. Johnson. I was like, I couldn't even remember my character's name. Yeah, you could play Mrs. Robinson in an updated version of The Graduate. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, but maybe. I, I wrote this question down here as an actor. You, how do you not mm-hmm. want the main role? I wrote that while I was watching the movie. I was like, how does she say, I want the, I want to do everything. How do you, how do you say, okay, what's best for the film? Well, I mean, that's such a, that's such a interesting and, and complex question. I mean, and, and honestly, it's, it's interesting that you ask that because this film was a turning point for me and for a lot of different reasons, both personally and professionally. And, um, I decided after this film that I'm I'm never I'm I'm not going to produce something of this you know level this budget level where you know I get paid so little and it's just like you know it's just all about my heart and my soul and you know you just you really kill yourself for a new film in a lot of ways um, and I just I decided that this was the last one that I was going to do where I don't have a leading role. Because it was really, um, it was actually the first of, of my features, of my four features, that I didn't have a large acting role. And it was really hard, um, to be honest. And, and I mean, of course, like, Anna is, you know, so incredible. Um, and, you know, at, at, at some point, you know, star power really does mean something. Um, 
especially at a, you know, a film of this level. So it's important to have, um, you know, actors with notoriety to, to draw eyes to the film. Um, but I, it, it really was, it really was hard. And, and that's why, you know, I just, I always continue to make my own work like my little, you know, Southern theme from, from the beginning of our conversation. Um, and another film actually that just got, that just got announced a couple of days ago that's coming out in December called Last Three Days. Um, I was a producer on that one, and that one I have the leading role, the the leading female role in that film, and um, and that was the most fun that I've had on a set, just because I love multitasking. Like, if you give me like so much, um, so many different tasks, I am just like the happiest camper in the world, and so for me. Going from producer hat to actor hat is my is my favorite thing. Like I absolutely love it, and I know for some people, um, I know for a lot of people, you know, they'll they'll decide in, in with film that they're like, okay, well, I tried to do both, and I just hated it. Like I only want to be an actor. I only want to be a producer. Whatever. Um, for me, I just really love doing both, and. And that's why I think, you know, I'm writing this, this story about my grandma where I'm going to have a, you know, large role in it. And um, other, uh, you know, I get, I get handed scripts a lot. And I, I tell people straight up at this point, you know, like I'm, um, I mean, of course there are exceptions, but for the most part, I, like there's, I want a role in the film because then I get to play and, you know, really give my all in a really creative way. Um, and handle the business side. And that, that's really what fills me. Wow. And it's really, you know, you see that a lot now. You see, I'll use Reese Witherspoon as an example. You see her. Well, she is my. Is she your like my, spirit animal, spirit my, human? Yep, she is my spirit human. So, uh-huh. <laughs> but like, like, so, you know, you see her, she's doing these incredible, incredible things on like Netflix and Hulu and, and. She's also producing. She's executive producer. What is what is an executive producer and a producer? What is the difference? Yeah, I mean, so on it like both on the television side as well as the film side, the executive producer is often the money. Oh um, okay. and or the clout. So like, you know, oh. like for example, um I watched uh, Perry Mason last night, the first episode of Perry Mason on HBO. Mm-hmm. And um, Robert Downey Jr. is listed as an executive producer on that. And I was like, that is so fascinating because oh. he's not in it. Right. <laughs> like, he's not he's not acting in it. But he either, like, is was on the creative team or he's friends with someone and he just got an executive producer credit. Like, you, you know, that Hollywood is so um, incestuous and in in almost a like loving way where it's just like everyone just wants to be in bed together because I mean, you do, you want to make stuff with people that you like, Um, you know, you want to make stuff with your friends. And so that's often the case where like people will get, you know, executive producer credit because of, you know, yeah, they're bringing a certain level of, notoriety to a project um or they're bringing the money okay. um but 
but but lead actors often get executive producer credits, especially further along in season, because um, basically it's like it's part of their negotiation. It usually means that they get back end points, that they're getting like extra residuals, that that sort of stuff. And so can, I wonder if you could be an executive producer, but not even give money, just like, hey, I'm Robert Downey Jr. I'm interested in this. Yeah. Okay. Hey, we're just going to slap your name 100%. on it because hello, this, this is pretty exciting. Right, exactly. Wow. That's amazing yep. to 100%. me. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, in this movie here a while, did you hire the casting director? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. How, how do you get, how do you know? Okay. Let me rewind a minute. When you sit down yeah. with the director and the writer and they're like, we have these characters, do they have, yeah. a, do they have somebody in mind? Like is Anna camp like, they, Hey, she's on the first of our list or how does that? No, you go? know what? It's so, it's so funny because and Anna was actually interviewed on, on a SAG podcast the other day and she brought this up and I had totally forgotten about it. Um, so we did have a casting director. She did, you know, have a list of people who she thought were good um, as well as, you know, both for Anna's character as well as for Michael and for, um, Steve, or, uh, uh, Gary's character. And, um, and Anna was not on that original list. And I went, um, on a date, on a first date to see Belleville, which is a, like, movie or, a, um, excuse me, a, a play at the Pasadena Playhouse that's about, like, divorce and this couple like killing each other basically <laughs> it's like oh, it's really it was like the most it was a very funny first date and um <laughs> uh so so i'm sitting there but anna was in that and so and she was the you know the female lead in that and she was so incredible and i you know i had known her because of the pitch perfect movies but i mean i didn't have much you know whatever um Knowledge. Like I didn't right. really, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and, but the, the person that I was with, he's a big theater person. And he was like, oh yeah, she's, she was huge in the theater world. You know, she did a lot of stuff on Broadway, you know, all this stuff was really so fascinating because she was so good. And, um, that, that next day I called the director and casting director and I was like, I think we need to look at Aunt Camp. Um, and she was in this, she has the same agent or like in the same agency as Joe, the Trulio. And he's actually the first person that signed on mm. to the project. Well, so his character he, is he got so it. great. I mean, yeah. who, who, yeah, wouldn't, and, who wouldn't want to do that role? That's an incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's how that happened. Um, Let's talk a moment, or not a moment. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about. Let's actually talk about the Deathwick Dignity Act, which was, yeah, which was from 1997 in Oregon, which said if you have a terminal illness, you can make the decision to end your life. Before mm -hmm. you got into this film, what were your thoughts on that? That's a great question. I mean, yeah, um, I love that. I love to hear yeah. that. That's exciting. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a very, like, liberal, open-minded person in general. Um, so I'm very much of the opinion that people should have the ability to do, um, you know, what they want with their life, um, in some sense, as long as it's not harming others. Um, I think 
the thing that's interesting is like the nuance with both that law as well as other laws. Um, organs is, is very general in the fact that it is like anyone with a terminal illness is able to, um, you know, use this act. But a lot of other states are very uh, specific, you know, like where it's like if you are, if you have cancer, you can use it. If you have ALS or, um, or MS, you can't. So, mm. or if you've got, you know, like, um, extreme, you know, Alzheimer's or, you know, like there's, there's so many, um, you know, different aspects to something like this. And that's, that's where I think the, it's, it's really important conversation for people to have. Um, you know, so I, I mean, I really didn't know anything about it, (laughs) to be honest. Um, but I mean, I certainly like after reading the script, there wasn't any, you know, like, Oh no, I, you know, I, I don't support this or anything like that. Um, like I, I very much support it and think that, that it should be at least, at least in the conversation. Um, I mean, you know, I, I, I have a very interesting background. Like I have, I had a very interesting upbringing. Um, <laughs> my parents divorced when I was five and my dad is a Christian minister and oh, my mom wow. is Jewish. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so I grew up going to church with my dad and my stepmom, and then, you know, being Jewish. And so, um, I remember, you know, like growing up, going to, like wherever my dad was preaching and there's one point in one instance that I remember where I was in church with my sister and the like main preacher, not my dad, but like the, the home preacher, whatever we're going to call him. Um, he, he talked about how all gays and all Jews are going to hell. And, and I think I was like 11 and I just like, you know, stood up and left. And, and I think my point in this is the fact that like, I think that our country is, um, really obsessed with, yeah, controlling. And a lot of that has to do with, with religion. And a lot of that has to do with, um, you know, certain aspects of religion. And I actually got into a pretty like heated conversation with my dad about this the other day, um, just about, you know, everything that's going on right now and our um, consciousness and and media and everything like that. And I think that, um, I think that our, that our country really has a, has, I mean, has a long way to go, not only just with like, you know, Black Lives Matter and and all of that sort of stuff, but also just with the understanding that people, you know, like people's own lives should not be necessarily dictated by the rules of um, governments. Like governments should be there to support the people, but they should not dictate, um, you know, whether or not someone can live a happy life. Um, and that's always been, been what I've, you know, thought and grown up with. And I think that, you know, part of that was, was growing up in, and I mean, I'm not obviously saying that Christians are bad. Um, but I definitely have had experiences in, with certain, you know, people that have made me be like, you know what, screw you. That's like, 
that has nothing to do with who I am. And like, I'm, I'm proud of who I am and I'm proud of being Jewish and screw you for thinking that there's something wrong with me because of that. Um, and I think that, you know, I've always had that opinion. And so for me to be able to tell any story about a woman who, who really stands up for, for what she believes in and, and does not let anyone else dissuade her of that opinion is really powerful to me. And, you know, Anna and I actually both ended up getting the tattoo that the woman has um, in the movie, like Anna has in the movie with the hummingbird behind her ear. Mm-hmm. Um, because both of us, like, really just felt, you know, so tied to this character and how much she, yeah, stands up for what she believes in. And, and it, it, like, she's got such a strength in her. Well, you know, I didn't even think of this aspect of the movie, but the idea yeah. that it's a woman, you know, right now there's so it's up, it, you know, there's a dumpster fire right now regarding, you know, women not being able or the question of women not being able to do with what they want with their body. And so right. this movie is another level of I'm so glad the character is a woman and it's based off somebody yeah. who was real also. But just the yeah. fact that she's taking control of her body and. Right. It is, you know, when you look at the map of the states where this is legal, it's nowhere where religion is profound because, right. you know, it's, you know, as a raised, I was raised Catholic, it's you never commit suicide because your life doesn't really right. belong to you. It belongs to God. Right. And who are right. you to take your own life? When God's ready for you to mm-hmm. go, you will go and that's it. Right. Um, but, you know, this is so much bigger than that. And right. the moment, you know, the first time I ever heard about this was with um, Brittany Maynard. She was, um, this was back in 2014. She had a brain tumor right. and she chose mm-hmm. to end her life. And that's the first time I ever right. heard of this. And I thought, holy shit, why isn't this a fucking thing all over the country? Because right. do you know, I was a nurse for f- like 12 years of my life. Do you know how many people oh, that I- know that? Oh yes. Oh, yep. Yeah. I was a nurse um, before I became a flight attendant. <laughs> And um, <laughs> I don't like how that sounds. But, well, I like, I want to hear so many things. Uh-huh. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, it's, it's the idea of, do you know how many people I have seen? I always go back to people living in a nursing home. And I know this is going to sound terrible. Mm-hmm. This is going to sound horrific to some people, but I have seen right. people in a nursing home who are like 90, 95, 80, 85, um, they have no quality of life. They're, they're not alert. They're not functioning. They have to be turned every two hours. Some of them aren't. And then they have pressure ulcers in their back tailbone that you could stick your fist in. I have actually done this to clean them. I have seen this and I've always thought in my mind, this is inhumane. This is, this is, this is brutal. This is horrific that we allow our, we, we like our, we, here's the thing. Oh, I'm getting emotional. We respect our animals enough to, and I'm going to use the term, people aren't going to like it. We love our animals and respect our animals enough to put them down when they have no more quality of life. But here we have somebody who's 90, who is not even here anymore at all, but we keep them right. alive because we are selfish and we can't say goodbye. Right. right. So I, yeah. yeah. So I think that if you are somebody who's been given this terminal illness diagnosis where they're like, you have three months to live. Like my mom, my mom, she was diagnosed with, um, 
liver cancer on March 15th, 2003. She died May 1st. And it was a, from, it's so weird too. It's because it's almost like you feel fine. You go in, the doctor says, this is what you have. And then bam, it's like downhill. It's almost like once it's, once it's out there in the world and it's said, once it's in your brain, it's just a roller coaster ride down. And, um, my mom, she passed away. She was, she had hospice and everything like that. And, and she went and thankfully she didn't go she did a month and a half, but there's people that just wither away to nothing. And wouldn't it be incredible to say, Hey, listen, you have this option. You can, you can take control of your life and your destiny. Do you want to do this? I would, I let me tell you, if I found out tomorrow that I had cancer where I was, that's it. You're going to die in six months, get your shit together. I would have no Paul, no qualms with doing this. And I am deathly afraid of dying, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. I'm afraid of, I, and actually what I'm afraid of dying is, is the process of the pain. That's what I don't mm. want. I don't want, I'm so afraid. Like if I die, I die. I don't know because you know, if I just mm. dropped dead of a heart attack right now, I'd probably wouldn't even know, but it's the idea right. of, dying and, and just withering away, you know, just no quality of life. And mm. I would want to be able to say, it's so interesting. Cause for me, the thing that like scares the crap out of me as far as dying is not being able to like do the things that I want to do, like to not succeed as much as I want to do or, you know, anything like that. But in like thinking about that, this character actually does get to, mm-hmm check everything off of her list. Like she really, you know, gets to have the closure that she needs um, in so many different ways. And then decides at that point, like I'm, I'm good. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Oh, um, oh, oh my God. Which I think is, now I'm, yeah. th- I'm thinking of that table. Oh, you know, she did such a great job, but oh, when, you, when you're in this mood, when you're making this movie, you're in this movie, do you go back to the hotel and are you like staring at your mortality in the face daily while this is going on? Cause I know I would be. I mean, Oh gosh. How politically correct should well, I be? <laughs> listen, let, don't it's the grounded with flight attendant Joe podcast, but let me ask you this yeah. before you answer that. Did you think we'd get this deep? <laughs> um, well I did because you know, I, uh, I, uh, I listened to your podcast, so I I was expecting I was expecting these questions, and oh, I love yeah. it. Oh, good! Um, oh, yay! I, That's awesome. Yeah, no, I find it fascinating. Um, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I was I was going through a lot of personal stuff right right then. Um, so, in a lot of ways, um, and honestly, I, I just realized this right now, actually. You're like making me realize, like yeah. having revelations here. <laughs> what a successful <laughs> um, I story. I, I know. I think that this is actually also why I really wish that I would have been acting in that movie is because then when I'm acting, I can completely like, in, like involve myself in a character. And so then I step outside of myself. Um, mm. And in this, this, I was just a producer and dealing with my own like personal life shit. And, um, and so that was really hard for me because I was, I was dealing with a lot of 
of personal stuff. And so, um, I mean, like film sets all like for the most part, always are just like such an amazing place because it's like, I mean, you did theater as a kid. Like it's, it's like, it's like theater, um, but on steroids because you're spending, you know, three weeks together and really, you know, completely involved in everyone's lives. Um, and so I actually really like, I was like wanting to go back to set so I can like see all of my people again and like keep creating. Um, you know, like I, I have really found that filmmaking, um, I mean, I'm coming up on being back in LA for six years now. Um, and filmmaking has been my one constant and has been the thing that has pushed me through a lot of different hardships and um and I found that with that film as well that it just it's just been the light at the end of the tunnel even when I'm dealing with hard stuff in fact I uh one one um clip that you did not find is this short film that I made um that's about a woman who uh who's and this is actually based on the direct, this is something I just auditioned for, but um, it was based on the director's life. She was, um, she grew up without knowing her father. And uh, when she does, she and her husband decided to have a kid, she decided to go to the adoption agency and find out who her dad was. And um, she, she shows up at his house and finds out that he has Alzheimer's and he doesn't remember that he has a daughter. And that, um, so, so we, she made this short and I started it about that experience. And I went through that, um, filming that short right after my ex-husband left me, like two weeks after that. And having the, that character to, um, process some of my own emotions through that character was so cathartic and wonderful. Mm. And like, who knows if this is like really good for acting. I mean, for me, this has always been something that has been very helpful for me is, is to, um, you know, just process stuff, um, through characters. So I don't know. I don't know what that says about me. Well, I love, I love that you said that because (laughs) that actually makes sense to me. Um, say, Mm -hmm. say you're an actor, right? It sounds like it's easier to deal with the bullshit of your life. Like, like it sounds like it's easier to deal with a divorce while you're acting as someone else to get through that pain. Because a lot of us, we kind of don't deal with the shit that happens. We kind of just say, I'm just going to put this over here. And, and then what happens is it piles up and then it falls on us. And then we're like, how did that happen? Well, you've just been storing all your bullshit and not dealing with it. Do you think that happens a lot? Do you think as an actor, it's easier to maneuver through life, being able to take on these other characters so that you're not maybe focusing on the shit that's going on personally? You know, I actually, I actually think it's sort of the opposite because okay. I think actually, I mean, I, I'm a huge proponent of therapy and, um, you know, you know that I'm like a huge proponent of mental health and, and I, um, 
So I have a therapist that I go to every week and she's amazing. And awesome. we've been zooming through all of this, you know, and, and she's, she's incredible. And, and I mean, like that was two years ago and I'm still processing. So, you know, that's, it's, it's always a long, a long, um, you know, journey to go through something like that. But I actually find that, yeah, I mean, us as people, we are, we are shown to force down our emotions and, and yeah, not deal with things, put things in boxes, put it away on a shelf, not deal with it. And as an actor, that's the, you know, it's the exact opposite. And so it's actually more that I'm forced to sit in my own shit and, Mm. and, and realize, you know, that like, you know, it's, it's about bringing, pieces of yourself into whatever character that you play and sometimes those pieces are things where I'm like man I really haven't processed this yet um I guess that I'm gonna you know start processing this through um through this character um so so that's actually how how I find it helpful for me so it's easier for you to get through painful things by being by acting because then you can take all that emotion and all that hurt and kind of put it into the character and you got you and this character are kind of working through it together while you're making this movie. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, of course I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not saying that like, like I wouldn't, I'm not a method actor. Like I'm not gonna, you know, go like be um, like really like, try to sit in in depression when I'm um if I'm playing a character and in fact for me when I was both on here a while as well as when I was doing that short which is called I can't do this um I would actually at the end of the day just be like oh okay great now I can go like walk my dog I can go have a dance party in my room I can go have a beer like I can go just like get that off me for the day because I'm like, I feel like I just, I just did 12 hours of therapy. Like mm. I just did some really good work <laughs> like right. learning about myself. And, and now I can, you know, just rush. And, and thankfully I'm, um, I have the ability to, um, know where that character ends and where I begin and be able to be like, even if I'm super deep into a character and just be like, okay, I'm, I'm done with that for the day. I'm going to, brush her off and, and enjoy myself as much as I can de-stress and then I'll tackle it again tomorrow. Um, so that's, that's what has been cathartic for me anyways. Yeah. Well, I just think it's, it's great to be able to have that extra outlet, you know, mm-hmm. because I'm in therapy. I, I speak to my therapist yeah. every week also, and I'm a, I'm a huge push, not pusher of mental health or or therapy, but I do believe everyone needs therapy. I don't care how perfect you, if you're sitting on the sofa and you're like, I'm perfect. No, you're not. Just saying that means you're not. So settle down. (laughs) I'll I'll give you a phone number to call. On a second. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, yeah, I actually have had friends who say, I don't need therapy. I'm perfect. And I'm like, the fact that you made that, you said that to me just shows me how much you actually need therapy, but okay. Yeah. On a set like this, on a set like this where emotions can run really high, there's, you know, you're watching these people, you're like, oh, these are real tears. They're pulling from really true situations that are happening in their life. Do you have to think about like having some type of mental health specialist or a counselor, somebody on set for if, if something just hits a nerve in somebody where they're like, holy shit, I didn't see that coming. 
Yeah, you know, that's that's actually fascinating. Um, I, we did not, um, but that's a great idea for future sets. I mean, one thing to note, though, was, and um, humble brag here, all of the actors talked about how amazing I was as a producer on this project. Um, and I, I 100% think that it's because I'm an actor. So I was able to... Um, go to them, you know, every day and be like, this is the scene that we're shooting today. How are you feeling? What do you need? And that can oh, be anything nice. from like, you know, like I don't want to drink normal coffee today. Like I want a latte. <laughs> and I'd be like, great, I'll go get you a latte, you know, or, or like I need, I need an hour by myself before I'm on set. Okay, great. That's what we can do. You know, like, and I think that I, um, you know, as an actor, and I've certainly been on sets before where that where that hasn't been the case, where where the actors have not been taken care of in that way. And so for me, I just want to pay it forward and make sure that my actors are protected and, and taken care of as much as possible, as much as we can, you know, give them. And I think, you know, one of the ways that we were able to do that was that we really shot in sequential order. Um, in the beginning, that's, that's not actually how it was. Um, but that was something that I fought for, um, you know, because even if you're the captain, of course, there's a lot of other people who have their own agendas and, you know, need their, you know, they've got their own ideas about how things should be done. Um, and that was something that I really fought hard for because we, you know, we had that ending scene early on in the schedule. And, and I was like, that's just not going to work because we, we want Anna, the actor, to have enough time to really get to know her character and to process this. That way she can give the best performance possible. And I know that that was something that she really appreciated was, was the rearranging. We rearranged the entire schedule that way that could be shot towards the end. Um, so, so there was. You know, she was she was you know given that gift of allowing to explore the character before she mm -hmm. had to say goodbye to that character. Right, because so. I don't know how you could film a scene like that, and before you would actually film the entire movie and live that that experience. So at the end, when yeah. when your life is ending, when she's chosen to do this, you know, it's she's gone. She's worked through this entire thing, and I think that's. I think that's important for filmmaking. Yeah. I know nothing about filmmaking, but that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is. You know, you can you can you can always do it. I mean, I'm I'm thinking about a movie that I did in particular where, like, I had a very emotional scene that we shot on like the second day, and I was and you know I shot for like twelve or thirteen days, and it was it was like at the end of the, the scene was from the middle or the end of the movie, and I had to have this huge crying blow up conversation with my husband and we had like just met each other and oh, yeah. I mean you know the scene is good like I watch and I'm like yeah it's good um but but I wonder if it you know if it could have been better I mean maybe maybe not and and honestly as the actor it's my job to just give it the best performance that I possibly can with what I'm given so you know I, I did my best and I mean, it's, it, this is me just being critical of my right. own work, you know? Oh, um, I, I've dealt, but, I've dealt but, with actors. You know. I understand that. I, I, 
<laughs> one of my good friends is an actor, and I deal with that with her all the time. No. <laughs> I got to mention that. I know we're the most amazing. We're the most amazing people ever. Most amazing. <laughs> but I'm thinking. What I'm thinking is. Because you have so much experience in the mental health world and you go to therapy mm -hmm. and you run this non-for-profit organization that we're going to talk about in a minute. I couldn't even say the word organization, right? Mm -hmm. I, I, you probably approach these people with that in mind too. This is a heavy situation. Yeah. So you're coming in there with, with a little bit, you might not have an, a master's degree in mental health, but life experiences teaches us how to be with other people in situations like this. And yeah, it's just making a movie, but th it's a movie that's really, that can really fuck with your mind. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for um, sure. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I just like, you know, trying to protect, protect people's like mental space and, and give them what they need in, in the time that, you know, how, however I can, that's, that's all I can do. Basically. So. Before we move on to the next subject, I just want to ask you one yeah. question. Would you yeah. would you end your life if you found out you had something terminal that you only had three months to live? Um, you had to know that. Was I think coming. that, I, yeah, I know, I know. I should have known. I think I would, but I, I think um, I personally would probably push it a little harder. Okay. No, like yeah. I think, you know, I think that I would probably maybe wait until I was, I mean, I don't know. It's not so hard because like, I was going to say I would wait until I was hospital bound, but actually the fact that like she was able to die in her own bed was so wonderful, you know, like that was such a gift. Um, right. Cause it's all about, so, it's all about the control yeah. and having the power right. to make these choices in your life. And we live in a world where we think, and, and I could be completely wrong. Of course I'm wrong a lot, but <laughs> we live in this world where we think we have control of every situation, but we don't, we don't really have yeah. much control. I could walk outside to check the mail and some car could, the guy could be having, you know, a seizure and ran and hit me. Like there's not much right. control. So when I saw this movie, I thought, what an amazing opportunity someone can have to be able to be in a situation like this and 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 end their life on their terms. And a lot of people who don't know yeah. about this act or Death um, with Dignity Act, they're thinking, you know, if you went down to Arkansas, and uh, I shouldn't be calling out states, but if you went to Alabama, mm -hmm. I'm just going to do it. Right. Um, they would probably yeah. think, oh, <laughs> yo, you shouldn't let anybody just commit suicide. And it's like, no, 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 that's not actually what it is. You know, right, what it is right. is you would, you would probably want this opportunity if you found yourself in that situation. This, it's not about, right. and that's what people who are listening to this podcast need to understand. It's, you know, it's not about, I'm, I'm done. I'm just going to kill myself. No, that is right. not what this is about at all. Right. Oh, get that out of your brain. Right. The, yes. Get it out yeah. of your brain. No. Yeah. hundred percent. So, um, so yeah, I guess, yeah. I guess so. Yeah. I would too. I would too. Yeah. I, um, I would probably yeah. be like you and I would try to find every pot. I'll be like, what do you want me to drink? You want me to drink cat piss? Okay. That's going to work. All right. I'm good. And then when I got to the point where I was like, nothing is working and this is the end of my book is near. Cause I live my life like a book and right. every new 
every new adventure, every new thing is a new chapter. And I would say, well, you know, I'm at the end of this chapter. I'm at the end of this book. This is difficult, but damn it, I'm going to be in control. And I think that's so important. Yeah. I mean, I think it's also important just to say that, like, as much as we speculate about it, like, who knows what our actual opinion would be if we were confronted with that. And, you know, that's one thing that I think that is, that is so important about that we like really stick to with this film as well. And is the fact that, you know, the doctor, and this is completely true. This is true. The doctor has to ask the patient three times, whether or not this is actually something that they want to do. And then they say, um, you know, and they have to like make sure that they're, you know, sound mind and body um, and like have that signed off by people. And then, and then the doctor says, you know, here's the medication. Just so you know, some people never fill the prescription and some people who fill the prescription never actually take the medicine. Like you can decide to change your mind about this anytime that you want, Mm -hmm. which is really lovely because that is, you know, the ultimate control where it's like, I'm being given options and, and if I decide to do this or not, it's 100% on my own volition and, and decision. And, and that's, and that's it. And I think that that's really, you know, really valuable because, um, we, we don't, we don't know what we would do in that situation. That's, that's good. Yeah. That's, that's very smart. And I, I agree. I, I try, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking I would do it. I would do it, but who knows what you would do in that circumstance. And I love right. that you brought up that point in the movie where the doctor's sitting there and asks her so many times. And, you know, just the idea of being able to get the prescription and fill the prescription probably gives somebody so much power. Like when she says, you know, people fill this and don't even use it. It's just any amount of power when you know you are dying and, you know, we're all dying, of course. But like at that moment of, oh, this is happening now, like I, I know they've told me because we don't have that luxury. A lot of us don't know when it's going to happen. So, um, so much, I just think there's just so much, this movie is very powerful in so many ways. So thank you for making it. Did I lose you? Oh, I lost you for a moment there. Oh, I was like, holy <laughs> God, we're talking about this. And oh, okay. But she's back. Yay. I'm done. Oh, I, I'm done with you. No, don't. Hey, listen. I, oh, wait a minute. You would be the first one. No, I've had lots of people hang up on me, but it's always by mistake. <laughs> no. Um, or so they say. Oh, well, uh-huh. yeah, I don't believe it. Yeah, ex- exactly. People would, I'm sure would hang up on me. Um. I want to transition over into the conversation of mental health because I know you're a huge um, person who, you know, promotes mental health. You run a nonprofit, I I wrote it down, I can't even speak now. I wrote it down, a nonprofit organization dedicated to sharing stories and resources about the struggles with mental health more than you see. That's the name of the nonprofit. Mm-hmm. How did you get into that? Um, what brought you to this type of um, nonprofit at, in your life? Yeah, so um, that's actually, so I uh, also about two years ago, so this is all happening around the time of filming here a while. Um, I was in a really um, negative, dark place in my life. Um, and I was hiking one day. I had really just like sort of 
lost my uh, my purpose um, and really wasn't sure what I was doing with my life, if that makes sense, which is so crazy because, you know, I had so many things going on. You know, I had just starred in a short and I, I was shooting a feature and I had, you know, I, I did have a lot of professional things that, ha- that were going on in my life. And I think this is important to, to note because mental health, you know, can um, be prevalent in our life no matter, you know, at what what state we are in professionally. Like that that does not necessarily, um, you know, speak about how, how we're doing personally. And so I was doing, you know, really well in a lot of ways, um, but I really was, was very depressed and, um, I, I, I hesitate to say that I was suicidal because I, I certainly wasn't and I certainly didn't make any plans or anything like that. But I had the thought several times that if I was um, someone else, I might be suicidal at this point. Um, you know, that, that I was fortunate enough to have um, a lot of understanding of my own boundaries and my own uh, like livelihood. And so like I understood that I was feeling really terrible, um, but that I was still safe and okay. But it made me concerned for people who did not have that foresight. And it was the first time that I'd really thought about suicide or depression that much. Um, I mean, I grew up going to counseling, uh, you know, like I said, my parents got divorced when I was five and that was really, I had a very tumultuous childhood. So I, I went, I was in therapy a lot as a kid, um, you know, but, but it wasn't ever something that I'd really confronted myself and going through this super dark time, I started to, to confront it. And I was listening to a podcast one day, walking my dog. Um, on a hike and I was listening to a podcast with Zachary Levi who's from you know Chuck and Shazam and he was talking about how he was suicidal a few years before and this was like you know he's someone who I've admired for a long time I think that he's a really incredible actor and a really like does a lot for the community he's a huge you know nerd and does a lot for the nerd community and I'm just, I'm a huge fan of his. Um, and to hear him talk about how he was suicidal completely blew my mind. Um, because it was, it was to hear someone who I admired so much talk about how they wanted to end their life just opened up something in me and made me feel like if he can get through this, I can get through this. Um, and so I just, it gave me the idea that that I wanted to build a community of people to speak openly about their stories because, you know, his story impacted me so strongly. And I wanted to know, like, how my story could impact other people or other people's stories could imp- impact each other. And so I really wanted to, you know, build, we, we focus on non-traditional resources because I think that there is a lot of organizations out there that focus on, you know, the importance of therapy, the importance of, um, 
like self-help lines, the importance of, um, you know, you know, you know, dealing with domestic violence, like all of that, that sort of stuff. Like, I think, I think that there's a lot of, um, societal structure for that, whether or not it is, it is good and doing, doing what it needs to. I still feel like that is part of the national conversation at least, but there's a lot of people who are just like me who maybe have never had a depressive or suicidal thought until they're 31. And then they're like, holy shit, what do I do? Because I'm um, not the quote unquote traditional, um, you know, someone who's, who's, who's gone through something like this before. So our organization, my organization, basically um, we share, yeah, non-traditional resources. So podcasts, books, TED Talks, um, articles, you know, anything that, that's explaining people's point of views in some way that maybe is not talked about and how it links to mental health. Um, for example, I mean, I think that our brains are so fascinating and, you know, we don't, we don't know much about our brains. We don't know much about our, our DNA, our, you know, um, genealogy and like how that affects who we are and how that affects our mental health. And, um, there's articles that I've read about, you know, how if, if your grandparents had a traumatic experience, but never talked to you about it, that traumatic experience can still show up in your neuroses today. And, you know, they, they did a study recently about um, chickens in a cage. And it was like all of these chickens who were raised from eggs and they were like raised in a lab and they were, you know, raised in little cages, but they were like, you know, happy little chickens had a lot of space. Like they lived a pretty like cush life, even though they lived in a lab. And they, the scientists every day would come in and visit them and talk to them and would um, fly shapes over them, would just like, you know, cut out a circle and then like put it over their cage um, and just did all sorts of different shapes. And then one day, and the chickens would just be like, cool, those are shapes. Great. One day they cut out pictures of hawks and put, um, flew those hawks over the cages and the chickens freaked out. And started running around and flocking and like we're trying to hide from these pictures of hawks. And they'd never seen hawks before. They'd never been outside this room. And that just shows how our, you know, there's so many parts of ourselves that are, um, you know, that are tied to external learnings or things that maybe we didn't even learn. Like maybe it was something from a previous generation. And, you know, so I really, I like to bring light to, you know, different studies like that, because I think that it really helps people. I find that the more knowledge that I have, the more that I understand myself, the more that I, you know, feel like I'm not alone and that I'm not the only person going through this one thing. Um, And that, I just find that so valuable and so those are the sorts of resources that I really try to share um on more than you see so that people you know have a you know slightly different way to um you know learn about themselves by by learning about others and and what they've gone through as well I um well first of all 
I want to thank you for being so honest about such an important and really personal situation in your life. I mean, and well, the, thank you. yeah, very brave. The word is brave. You should take brave, slap it on your chest and walk around and know that you're brave to even say these things because millions of people don't have the courage to even acknowledge this. Um, mm. I, it's so weird that you brought up the, um, ideology of suicide and what people think, because I just had this conversation with my therapist last week, because mm. I kind of, I kind of, here's the funny thing. I, it's not funny, but I kind of use my therapist for twofold. I use him to educate me so that I can understand all about mental health for other people, even if it doesn't evolve, revolve around me. And then also I use him to yeah. help me with my own shit. So right. one day when I didn't really have much to talk about, I was like, let's talk about suicide, but not for me. But how do you know when somebody is serious? Because mm -hmm. I, my mom, who's now dead, tried to commit suicide twice. She tried to take mm -hmm. pills. She tried to take pills when I was like, I would say five. And then mm -hmm. when she was, I was probably like 12, she slid her wrist in the kitchen and I watched her bleed out, but she didn't die oh, from wow. it. Yeah. She, um, yeah. because she didn't know how to cut. And, um, there's yeah. this thing of, you know, if you're trying, you know, there's a, there's this point and I'm not saying that people are trying to get attention when, if they want to commit suicide, but there's a way, right. you, you know, there, some people are crying for help and Irene was crying for help, but yeah. You said something, you said purpose, you talked about purpose, which is kind of the thing you were hiking and you were thinking, what's my purpose that led you to this idea of what would yeah. it be, what would suicide entail or whatnot. And la a couple of weeks ago, I was having a really bad day and I've never tried to commit suicide. Cause like I said, I'm afraid of dying. So I'm not going to mm -hmm. do it myself like that. Yeah. And, um, mm -hmm. but I was going through a, I was having a really bad day. I was going through a lot of mental anguish. Um, I mm -hmm. suffer, I suffer from imposter syndrome, which mm -hmm. is, I have this fear that people are going to find out that I really don't know what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, so, and you know, I've written three books, I host a podcast and I'm just waiting for somebody to knock on the door and open and say, you don't know what you're doing. You're tricking us. Right. So <laughs> I, and I think a lot of people go through that, but I, it's huge in me. It's, it's something that it, it possibly could hold me back sometimes from the things that I want to do in life because that little thing in the back of my brain says, what the hell are you, Joe? You don't know what you're doing. Right. Stop. So right. I was, I had this conversation with my therapist, Steve, about how do you know when somebody really wants to commit suicide or they're just crying for help? And then I was sitting in the hammock and I was having a really bad day and I just decided I'm just not doing anything today. And my husband came mm -hmm. out and we were talking and you know, I've always lived with this idea of, I feel bad for people who commit suicide because mm. in my mind, I think that was your last option that boggles my mind to think that it's someone you have gone, you have gotten to the point in life where there is no other option, but to end your life. And that that's something that I don't know if I can comprehend, but I did have right. this moment where I was sitting there in the hammock and I thought, you know what? I'm not suicidal. I'm too afraid to do it. But mm -hmm. I can understand why someone would get to a point in their life where they feel so worthless, because I also suffer from feeling worthless, and that's from my father. Mm -hmm. um, I suffer from being feeling worthless. I suffer from the, the imposter syndrome. 
I, you know, I've left the airline industry and I was suffering with what is my purpose in life. There's gotta be more, there has, I have to do more. I have to do more. And I just had this thought and I talked with my therapist uh, last week about it. And I said, you know, I had this idea of, I under, I won't do it, but now if somebody commits suicide, I will say to myself, you know, I, I, I can understand yeah. where they were, wh- what was in their brain. I can understand yeah. the, the thoughts of I'm worthless. I'm nobody. I'm nothing. What is, what, what am I here for? Oh, I'm not yeah. here for it. And if you don't have a good comfort system or you don't have somebody who tells, you no, you're amazing. You're wonderful. You're great. I could see how people go down that path. And now at 47, 35 years later, I can see why my mom did this. Right. Or attempted to do it. So mm-hmm. I'm so glad yeah. you brought that up because first of all, people are afraid to talk about it. And on this podcast, right. we talk about everything because we're not afraid to talk mm. about shit that people don't want to talk about. Um, yeah. Um, but, I mean, I, I'll, yeah. I'll even, I'll even add to that because I think, um, you know, something that you said, you know, like there isn't necessarily someone to, you know, say that they're wonderful and all that sort of stuff. I, I, I almost disagree with you because I think that it doesn't matter. Um, you know, I was like in my personal experience and obviously we can only talk about our personal experiences. I was living at home with my mom at that point and my mom and I have a wonderful relationship. Um, you know, I have my dog that, that is, has honestly been a lifeline in a lot of ways. Um, because having someone else to take care of all the time and who relies on me is really, really important. Um, but the only person that I wanted like validation and love from at that point was someone who said that they didn't want to be in my life anymore. Mm-hmm. And so like, he was the only person that I, if, if, if I was feeling you know, super suicidal and, and, um, at the end of my rope, the only person that could have really pulled me out of that at that point would have been the one person who was never going to do it. Oh. And that's, you know, and that was what was so hard was because, I mean, we were together for 10 years and it was, and he was my entire life and my, you know, I had my entire future built on the life that we had planned. And then to have your entire, you know, future ripped from you like that was really hard. And it wasn't, um, and so honestly, like listening to, to Zachary talk about it, I mean, I'm, I'm a little embarrassed to say this, but like, honestly, it was partly the fact that like, I was like, here is a, here is an attractive, good looking guy who is, who's someone who I would, you know, who I'm, who I'm, am attracted to. And here he's talking about it. And so it was almost like him speaking to me was like my ex-husband speaking to me, even though obviously that was not the case. Right. It was still like that, that, um, you know, having that figure of a person, like that was what I needed was, was this, attractive male figure to be like, you're going to be okay. And I'm like, Oh no, you're right. I, I guess I am going to be okay. You know, and like you, it didn't matter how many times my mom said it, right. you know, I needed some, I needed this other person. So was he kind of like a, 
what's uh, I can't think of the word right now, but like a surrogate type, because you Basically. said you were looking, you yeah. were looking for the per, you know, we, you know, have you ever thought about that? You break up with somebody and the one person that you really need the comfort from is the person that's hurting you. Right. Of course. Um, Definitely. And, but also, first of all, I'm glad you challenged me and disagreed with me because I love that because it means you're actively <laughs> listening and you're like, no, I don't agree yeah. with that. And, and I misspoke because kind of what I was saying was you need someone else to make you feel better. And, and that's not always the case. Ooh. Like what you just said, you wanted the, the, what you needed to feel better was from your ex-husband. He couldn't give it to you, but you really found it within yourself. Yeah. You know, you know, Zachary, him on that podcast, that just kind of gave you the, maybe the little push that you needed, but really you found Definitely. it within yourself because, yeah, you know, once you dig down deep, I, I do have a funny Zachary story. I was on, <laughs> this is cause I'm a tourist and I was in Warner Brothers studio <laughs> on the bus and he drove uh -huh. by on a bicycle and everyone was, oh, nice. everyone was screaming about him. And I was like, Oh my God. So that's so weird that those two things just come together. If you ever met mm -hmm. him, would you thank him or would you not? Yeah, no, I would for sure. Yeah. I mean, he's, 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 he's huge in the mental health, um, community and, and he's someone who I actually, um, you know, hope to work with at some point and to have a conversation like this with, um, because I think we do have very similar sensibilities and, and a lot of the same, you know, purpose around things. And I mean, like I said, you know, something that he, he has done that I've always admired is, is his, um, the way that he supports his fans and just the nerd culture in general. Um, I mean, I, I grew up a huge nerd. Um, like for me, it was books. It was Harry Potter, mm -hmm. as you can tell from my dog name. I also have a Harry Potter tattoo. Um, you know, like I, I definitely was huge into fandoms and, and that was something that really helped me a lot as a kid was the getting through a lot of, the personal stuff that I dealt with as a kid, the Harry Potter was such a huge escape and was very important to me. And when I went to Comic-Con for the first couple years, I have never been in a community of people so much that uh, it's just, it's just wonderful. I just love going to Comic-Con because you talk to people there and they talk about how that's the first, that they look forward to it all year because this is the first place that they feel like they can truly be themselves. The rest of the year, they're, they're faking it. And that, you know, weekend at Comic-Con is the time when they're able to dress up and see their friends and like be, just be them. Yeah, just be and, themselves, yeah. Yeah, just be themselves. And that's something, I mean, he's always been a huge huge proponent of comic-con and and just yeah nerd culture in general and so that's something you know i've also always been a huge um supporter of that as well and that's where you know building my mental health organization is is, a, is around the same ideas of the fact that like i want people to be themselves or like feel comfortable being themselves every day not just you know on the weekends or not on, you know, what the one week in a year when they go to Comic-Con, but like to really be able to expose, you know, who they are um, every day of the week. And I mean, that's why, you know, like May is Mental Health Awareness Month. 
um, which we've just passed. And on More Than You See's Instagram for the month of May, what I did was curate a digital art show. Um, again, this was something where, like, when quarantine happened, I was, I had a probably a week of feeling really shitty and, like, well, crap, this was supposed to be my year where I really, like, you know, push myself in all of these ways and now all of that's going to shit. And I, I once again felt like I didn't know what my purpose was. And I just thought, um, well, I had a, I have a, a short about mental health um, that I was talking with the director about releasing online for mental health month. And I was like, I'll do you one better. I'm going to build an entire digital art show <laughs> and we'll host it on more than you see. And we'll build it into this huge thing because I really wanted to, um, I was like, this is so important for me. This month is so important for me to showcase my art. Um, but I might as well showcase other people's art as well. And I just, you know, reached out to people online who had, you know, art therapy on their pages or just were artists or, you know, poets or songwriters or whatever. And I mean, I had over 60 submissions from all around the world. Oh, wow. Um, and just and put them up on on the Instagram every day, and it's something I'm going to do again next year because it just it was so successful. And people, time and time again, were like, "Thank you so much for allowing me to like share this side of myself with others." And it gives so, you, yeah, you know, and, and the yeah. more and the more than you see, also gives you power. It gives you power. It gives you. It makes you feel like you're doing something. You're actively doing something instead of sitting there. And I think that's where I'm stuck. I'm stuck Definitely. in the point of, I know there's something I should be doing because, you know, I'm a survival of incest. I'm a survival mm -hmm. of abuse. I've, my childhood is, could be a movie. Hint, hint, if you ever want to mm -hmm. run it. And um, I have to <laughs> be, enough, listen, right? I, have to, I have to be funny. That's how I process things. But <laughs> I'm sitting here. I, I do know that about you. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, there's got to be something that I should be doing. And here you are, you are doing it. And I'm so proud of that. So thank you, thank you. for just having another outlet for people who might not feel like they can be themselves or might be afraid to express how they feel. You know, a lot of people are afraid to say they're depressed. A lot of people are yeah. afraid to say like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of fucked up. I, I joke about how I went, you know, my parents are dead, but I wish I could mm. go back. I wish they were alive. Cause I would send my mom, my fucking therapist bill. She, right. you, you deserve you all, <laughs> you, you should be paying this cause you screwed me up. I've said that so many yeah. times. I'm like, why am I paying a hundred dollars a week? You should right. be paying for this. Like, right. because I'm fucked up because of you. It's so, yeah. it's so bizarre, but I want to, um, all joking aside, I want to say thank you because I'm somebody who struggles with my own issues. You know, like I said, I have a, a closet full of issues that I'm still working through. We spend our entire lives trying to just get through or just trying to recover yeah, from what happened to our in our childhoods. And I, I think you're on the right path. And I want to thank you for that. Well, thank you. And we do. And it is, it is a, it is a lifelong thing. You know, it's, it's interesting because I sort of said at this point, if, if I, I mean, if, when, when I get into a relationship again, um, 
whether or not the person goes to therapy is, is like in my like top five questions. And oh. the answer better be yes. Because I just find, um, I mean, not, not necessarily that they have like shit that they need to work through, but the willingness to work through the shit, like mm. that is the most important thing because we all have stuff. Right. Um, you know, and, and we just need to be willing to look at ourselves with love, but also critically. Yeah. Well, so, so many people like to just, like we said, like ignore it. Just like, oh, I'm fine. Right. I'm perfect. And no, you're not. Do you know who comedian Judy Gold is? No, she, she's um, based on New York. She's very funny. Um, okay. Jewish, okay. Jewish lesbian. She has a podcast. It's great. You should check it out. Okay. It's called, yeah, um, Oh, kill, kill me. Kill me now. It's with Judy gold. She's okay. great. And, um, one of her questions she asks guests like right off the bat are, are you in therapy? Like she just asked yeah. it. And it's, it's such a great question. I love that. Oh my God, that's fantastic. She just comes right out. She's like, are you in, th you know, I'm going to ask you, are you in therapy? And um, mm -hmm. yeah, it's great. But I want to thank you for coming on this podcast because what? I'm, a, my pleasure. it's, you know, you never really know. You, you sit down and I say this on almost every episode when I'm just thrown, thrown off course, you always think I got all my list of questions and I've done my homework and then the, you know, people just open up and I'm so grateful for that. So thank you for everything well, thanks you've for said. Having me. Oh, you're amazing. Of now, course. before I let you go though, you have to play my game. Let's yeah. get grounded where I, <laughs> where you tell me your favorite airline or you pick an airline and I ask you the question. So, um, okay. American airlines, JetBlue, Southwest frontier, Alaska, or United. Oh goodness. Out of those. Um, oh, do you have one that you like? Cause I, well, Delta. I, okay. I, did I, I didn't offer Delta. Okay. Do you want to pick Delta? Cause I have you a Delta not. question. Yes, right. I will pick Delta. All right. If you were offered a free vacation anywhere in the world. So if I came to mm -hmm. you and said, I'm going to send you anywhere in the world, all expenses paid, where would you never want to visit? Ooh, China. China. Okay. I've been to Hong Kong. I haven't been to mainland China, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. but I've been to Hong Kong. That's pretty much as far as, as far as I wanted to go. <laughs> yeah. And now I don't even think I'd I want mean, to go there. I mean, I, I, I mean, this is before COVID. I, you know, it's so funny. I, I've done a lot of Asia. Um, I've just never, I, I don't like that many people, honestly, like New York. If oh, I'm in yeah. New York after, after like five days, I'm like going to have a panic attack. Um, there's just too many people around me. And, right. and so that's, that's, I think. Well, that's, um, yeah. that's a good reason because I think they stand on top of you. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Deborah, please tell, <laughs> tell everyone where they can find you, how they can see your new movie and where they can just stalk you online. Like I do, but don't be crazy people. Aww. She's a very busy woman. Don't be, don't be sending I her mean... messages on Instagram. So, but go ahead. <laughs> Unless they're good questions. Exactly. Um, so <laughs> you can find out everything about the movie at hereawhile.com. So just H-E-R-E and then a while, A-W-H-I-L-E.com. Um, you can find me uh, on Instagram at Deborah underscore L. Smith. Um, more Than You See is at More Than underscore U-C. Um, and I mean, you can just Google me. 
I'm, I'm in a lot of places. Yeah, if you so. Google her, so much is going to come up. And hey, listen, if you ever need somebody to do anything for more you, um, I can't even speak now, more than you see, please think of me because I would love mm-hmm. to work with you on something like that. Well, I, yes, please. I will, we'll discuss because I would love yeah, to love um, collaborate with you on that. I love collaboration. Thank you so much. You are amazing. Thank you. And keep making these movies. Ladies and gentlemen, I will. Once, once you're done listening to this incredible episode, you need to just go and watch this movie, grab some tissue, maybe a glass of wine, and just really delve, dive deep into emotions and what's the message in this movie because it's incredible. Thank you so much for coming on the Thank show today. Thank you so much. All Thank right. you. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoyed this week's episode of Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe, please subscribe to the podcast. You'll get alerts when new episodes air. Also check out Flight Attendant Joe on Facebook and Instagram. And if you still haven't had enough of me, (laughs) check out the blog at www.flightattendantjoe.com.